With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Athletic. Totally Football League show. Forest win the Derby Derby. New owner, new owners for Hull, but it looks like Grant McCann stay in charge much longer. 3 2's the theme in League One, whilst Oldham call on a familiar face to get them out of the seat. Bigger and uglier than the lump on Bree Samba's head. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, nearly the end of January. You're doing great so far. Uh, joining me, Matt, for the first of our bi-weekly romps through the English Football League. Ah, Sam Parkin. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Adrian Clark's with us too. Yeah, great to romp with you, Matt. <laughs> and it's a big welcome back to Ross Embleton. Hi, Ross. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Uh, right, loads to get through today. Logic dictates we start in the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines, Fulham eight points clear despite only scoring three goals at Stoke. Uh, Bournemouth still second as we record, but only just after Hull bloody the nose of a promotion contender for the second time in a week. Forest are the best team in the East Midlands, in the Championship at least. Uh, the bottom five all lost, including Reading, Natch, and an American family are interested in buying Derby. BBC Radio Derby reports that the bid does not cover the Rams' Pride Park Stadium, which is owned by former club chairman Mel Morris. Let's kick off with Derby then at the world-famous City Ground where Adrian was on hand to witness the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest make it a record nine games unbeaten against the Rams in a match that shockingly didn't end 1-1. Johnson wants it. There he is! The ecstasy of Derby victory surely belongs to Nottingham Forest. Uh, Clarky. We'll get to the game shortly, but it seemed like the atmosphere was um, typically crackling for this fixture. Oh, it was tremendous. Honestly, I, I enjoyed myself so much. Never have I seen as many fans in for the warm-up. It was as if both sets of supporters just wanted to get in there as soon as they got to the ground and just taunt one another. There was, there was a you know, big sing-off before kick-off and then you know, rousing Mullock entire uh, as we were about to kick-off. And, and then obviously in the second half when Forrest went through the gears. It was it was so noisy. Yeah, really, really enjoyable. Um Derby Day. Obviously if if you're a Rams fan it wasn't it wasn't so good. But for the neutrals it was as much fun as it was for Forrest, I think. Did it did it pivot on that tactical switch that Steve Cooper made midway through the first half because Derby were the better team up till then? I think you have to give him credit for that. Derby were super impressive. First 20, I thought the structure, the confidence, they came well prepared. They were winning the mid- midfield battle hands down with their sort of three little ball players in there. And um, and, and yeah, I thought it was sensible of, of Cooper to bring out a centre-half. Obviously, it was Yates. He wasn't needed, really. There was only Kazim Richards up top. 
that said, Lawrence early on was was looking to join in. But what happened was by, by making that change, it forced Tom Lawrence to drop off. So he was less of a partner to, to Kazim Richards and more of a midfield player. And he, he certainly had less influence. And and yeah, it got Forrest up the pitch. And yeah, that I just feel that Forrest is the sort of side that wear opponents down. As in, they don't play incredible football. They're not, you know, a strong possession side necessarily. But but their pace is always a threat. And when the games open up in the second half, when spaces begin to appear, that's when Forrest really get the joy. And and that's when we saw Graben and Brennan Johnson. They, they, they weren't in it in the first half. But as soon as they got involved in the second period when more space opened up, Forrest looked a different outfit. It was, um, yeah, it was pretty impressive from them. Uh, Sam, a word from you, if you will, on uh, two of Forrest's strikers. Firstly, Keenan Davis doing the donkey work that, that allowed the other players that Clarkie mentioned to, to come into play. But secondly, what about that first touch from Graben for his goal? P- pretty simple finish thereafter, but the touch was delicious. Yeah, but probably done that countless times throughout his career and it's gone a little bit under the radar because he is well, he's an out-and-out goal scorer. That's what he prides himself on. He maybe doesn't contribute a great deal in terms of getting hold of the ball, bringing people in, switching the play, which Keenan Davis will do a lot better than him. But Grabbin has, has always got moves and always been touted for moves because he's that in a nutshell. Uh, and that's what he brings. So, yeah, that, that, that was fantastic. Davis looks to be a really smart acquisition. Um, I felt that a little bit unfortunate that he didn't get the, the foul when he went through. Uh, and the goalkeeper brought him down. I think the trailing leg maybe caught him. Difficult to see in uh, at full speed, but yeah, he's been a great acquisition. And Steve Cook, the um, the penalty decision aside, uh, was magnificent. I think throughout, as was was McKenna. So um, yeah, really good day for Forrest, and completely concur with with Clarky when they're when they're not at their best, they do quite well to stifle the opposition. And, and likewise, if there's not much between the two sides offensively, they've always got that change of gear with the, the aforementioned Johnson and, and Lewis Graben. Just another piece of credit to give to Steve Cooper as well. Obviously, he nailed that, that tactical reshuffle, but the timing of his substitution as well, bringing on Zinkanagel, just when you know, Keenan Davis had, had roughed up the centre-halves, he'd give them a, a really hard time. It became an end-to-end game. It was like, right, I'll bring on Zinkanagel now. And of course, he was the guy... That, that was the catalyst for that that crucial second goal with a great run on the break. So, yeah, I think I think Steve Cooper had a, had a really good day. That said, I think Rooney set his team up excellently. He just doesn't have enough firepower. Simple as that. They're, they're, they're a good team, but up front, not enough options. Yeah, that was the story, Ross, wasn't it, for, for Derby, really? I think the only shot on target in the game was the, uh, was the penalty. We know why they're hamstrung, but disappointing given the way that they've been playing but they can't really have any uh, any complaints about the result nor the red card for Ravel Morrison at the end I don't think no definitely not they can't they can't have any complaints about the result the better team won and I think you've covered a lot of, a lot of detail as to why uh, I think it is quite important and Wayne Rooney's come out in the last couple of days hasn't he and mentioned about um, the possibility or, or lack of it, I suppose, being able to add to the squad and firepower is going to um, going to make it very, very difficult. As well as they've they've done, I think no doubt that the um, you, you being there, Adrian, probably a bit better comment on it than I would. I would, but I think the way that it panned out at the end was almost like a bit of a fitting end to a derby, <laughs> wasn't it? In terms of 
Um, I've read number, numerous different opinions on whether it was, whether it wasn't, but the scenes at the end, especially if you're the team that's won, to uh, to be able to trigger a reaction from your opposition like that probably sends everyone home even happier. Isn't it? <laughs> not for us, I think it's, it's it's on the tick list. It's on the derby tick list, isn't it? You just you yeah. want to scrap. That's what you want. Bree Samba started it. He was bang out of order, wasn't he? I mean, am I alone there? I just thought he. He, he he kind of got should have got an orange card there. Probably not enough for a red, but he he, he was on the right wind up, wasn't he? After that you, penalty, you know, as an what, outfield player, Clarky, you're not allowed to go over the line though into the net. You know that from training grounds. They're weird about that, aren't they? <laughs> they don't even like balls in their nets, goalkeepers. So that's probably why he's reacted like that. Just on the the Morrison one, I thought that was, I thought that was a strange, tentative tackle from a flair player, if that makes any sense at all. I don't think it was malicious. I think it's someone who's not used to tackling and he's protecting himself a little bit. I don't like that, oh, it's a coward's tackle phrase, but I thought it was someone that's not used to being in the, the middle of the pitch involved in the blood and thunder. Uh, Blackburn and Middlesbrough playing on Monday night as we record, uh, but as it stands before that game, Forest four points off the playoffs with a game in hand. Uh, Derby are eight points from safety. And now they're mad stats at the venue, once known as the Mad Stad, goal-wise at least. Seven of them between Reading and Huddersfield, all but one, came in the first half. And Ross, Danny Ward with his hat-trick, kind of epitomising Huddersfield's season as, as the surprise package. Yeah, very much so. A great hat-trick, obviously, for him. Um, and, and as you say, there adds to the to the form that they're in. I think in terms of their home form, they're, um, they're second in that, in that current form table. Uh, and in and around the playoffs, the top six for for their away form as well. And I think you're exactly right that, that the form that he's in and the, and, the, and the way that he took his goals at the weekend does epitomise that collectively. I think you see a real good team spirit amongst what what they're um, what they're about. I think probably something that hasn't been described by about Huddersfield in the last few seasons. I think there seems to be that little bit more collective edge to to the way that the group pans out. And then when you've got a striker that can that can put the ball in the net in the manner that he has done. It, uh, it obviously gives you a real platform to, to, to go on the type of run and the type of form that they're currently in. Reading, though, Clarky, I mean, their, their defensive performance here was, was poor again. No win since the 27th of November. Paunovic says, after three weeks of inactivity because of 18 players having to deal with COVID, we had to build in January almost as a new pre-season for us. Uh, he's getting his excuses in and they are valid ones, but are they going to make the change? Should somebody else get a bit more out of them? Because it looks like they're sliding towards League One at this rate. Are they though? I don't know. Peter Brew and Barnsley aren't exactly putting up much of a fight and, and, and Derby have got it all to do. So they, they might sort of, by default, survive. I guess you're the winner by default. Default! Woohoo! The two sweetest words in the English language. Default! 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 <laughs> They've got the highest expected goals against in the championship. So that, that, that tells you everything you need to know about how they defend. Three more expected goals conceded than, than Bristol City and then Peterborough. So they're the sort of leakiest sides. Yeah, he, he tried something different here, didn't he? With uh, three at the back, uh, Josh Laurent went in at centre-half and he, he ripped that up by half-time <laughs> because, uh, as the scoreline would suggest, it, it wasn't working brilliantly. It's an interesting one on the goalie as well. I think, I don't want to pin too much on the keeper, but earlier on in the season, it was obviously Raphael was the number one. Then Southwood came in and did great. Uh, and what's happened now is Raphael's left. He's left the club. He's gone back to Brazil. And, and it just leaves Southwood sort of on his own. And yeah, I, 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 I don't know if it's coincided with, with a dip in form. 
you know, no competition for his place. He's, he's, he's started to make mistakes. That was that was an unfortunate one for him at the weekend, and it's not not the first he's made of late. So yeah, at the back, Reading are, are struggling, aren't they? Um, but going forward. Lucas Schwell was back and, and Puskas played well as well. That that change of formation that Clarkey mentions probably muddies the water a, a little bit because I was going to say they've come this far with Paunovic. Now that he's getting the majority of his first team back, do you just stick with him? Because I'm sure this has been the basis of his, his argument, his comment post-match. He's missed Morrison, Moore, Ajaria, Jao, Meite. Um, Rinomota for the majority of the, the last few months during this wretched run. So now that side looks a lot more like a red inside, I would say. Defensively, um, I don't know who's more culpable because the fullbacks were back from the um, AFCON and, and Bowl accounts were very good in an attacking sense. Maybe it's that that midfield area, the, the central midfield positions that just needs reinforced to see them turn a the corner. But I would just hold, well, I thought he should have gone a couple of weeks ago, but right now, Give him a couple of games with his main starters and see if they can turn things around. Very quickly on that midfield issue, <laughs> I looked at the, I think it was the Reading Chronicle um, to see the player ratings. I often like to look at the player ratings. And and on Danny Drinkwater, he got a three. Um, but the first line of, of, of the bit from the journal was, at half time, this rating would have been one as Drinkwater was absolutely eaten alive by Huddersfield. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you, you might have hit onto something there. Do you mind if I just add to that from the manager's perspective? I think Sam's exactly right that now he's starting to get certain personnel back. It's important to try to give him at least a, a couple of opportunities to to show if he's capable or not. I think the other thing would be to, I suppose, counteract that that argument would be changing your formation and then tearing it up at half time does show a little bit of of a concern in terms of that little bit of an act of desperation, searching for for an answer. So I've thrown sort of two different angles at it from there. I think you, Sam's exactly right. You want to see people given the opportunity to turn it around, but you can look upon it in one or two ways. You can either look upon it as a as an act of desperation, or he's tried to be proactive to get to get something out. Josh Laurent was was forced to go centre half uh, in that defeat to Fulham, and straight away gave the ball straight to Fulham, and they scored. So why he's, the supporters are probably saying why on earth he started him in a central defensive berth in this game uh, looks to be a strange decision, clearly. So Panovic, under a bit of pressure, might be looking for a new job soon. We think the same about Grant McCann. This, despite just days after besting Blackburn, his whole side at it again. They shocked Bournemouth. The word is that Shotar Avalante, former Rangers player, is likely to come in and, and replace Grant McCann. Um, Ross, I'm going to be controversial here and say that this might not be the worst thing for Grant McCann because he le- if he leaves after beating Blackburn and Bournemouth, then his stock is a lot higher than it would have been a couple of weeks ago when he was in charge of a team who'd lost four on the bounce and, and not one in six. So maybe it could work in his favour? Yeah, I think sometimes we look upon your stock being high as to getting promotion, maybe an unexpected promotion or keeping a team that weren't expected to stay in a division in, in a particular league. But that is that's, this is a great point at the moment. I think it's incredibly harsh, the conversations that are being had about him losing his job and, and, and the randomness of some of the, the names like that being thrown out to replace him, to me, doesn't make sense. But I'm not a decision maker at that level, so, so it doesn't. But um, I think you're exactly right. I think it'd be... Um, a great opportunity if he is going to go to go off the back of two great results 
um, when he's put himself and, and the team on the map, he can walk away with his head held high and, and hopefully onto pastures new and, and, and some an opportunity that he's going to really thrive upon. Uh, Clarky, I know you're a big fan of Shota Abeladze's work at Pactahor Tashkent, <laughs> his uh, most oh, yeah. recent club. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, like it, it might work in McCann's favour, you look at it and think, uh-oh, new owner making a random appointment, sacking a manager is doing okay. But actually, if you give the manager the job now, he gets the rest of the season to look at the squad. They're 10 points above the relegation zone. They, they are definitely better than at least three of the other teams in the league. Perhaps it's not the worst idea in the world to do it now rather than wait till the summer. I definitely get that argument. I th- first and foremost, I agree with with Ross. It's it's harsh on on Grant McCann. I think he's doing a really really good job. Um, I like the brand of football as well, and the, the the tactical change he made by going to three at the back and using sort of wingers in the wing back roles has, has transformed them. So I think he deserves a lot of credit. Two of the best players this season have been his loan signings, Ryan Longman and. Nathan Baxter in goal. So, yeah, lo- loads of ticks for him. But, yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it's a sort of, we're just playing out the season for Hull now. They're not going to go down, are they? And it will give him time to assess the squad. Um, I just I just wouldn't want to see that group, I don't know, t- turn into a sort of continental eleven. I think that the temptation with with these coaches is to, is to bring in a load of players from overseas and, and that, that can be really risky. Some some will will be hits, no doubt, but a lot of them will likely be be misses. And I don't. I think they've got the basis of a decent young team at Hull City. I don't think it's the sort of squad that needs ripping up and starting again. So I hope he goes in there, evaluates, and actually realizes that that he's got the basis of, of a decent team to move forward. Into Eves on the left hand side. Longman in the penalty area. He's trying to work the angle to take the shot on. And Ryan Longman scores for Hull City. What about Scotty P, Sam? He said after this game, we lacked everything we stand for and everything I want my team to stand for. Always a risk when a manager digs out his players in public. Has he, has he gone too soon or is this a consequence of what we've seen over the last few weeks and months rather than this defeat specifically? No, I, I don't know. I think um, it's a poor result. And, you know, in the first half, you wouldn't have foreseen this coming. It was a complete mismatch. I think Hull City had one blocked shot in the first period. So it could very well have been out of sight. I don't know. I just make the comparison to that, that Fulham side where they can hurt you from all different angles now. Can we say the same about Bournemouth? And we can't make excuses because this is their... This is their more or less their first 11. I think Zemura was pulling up trees early part of the season. He's the only obvious omission I can think of now. So they've got all the big hitters out there. Have they just not got as many players on song, as much firepower as Fulham? And this is going to happen. You know, they're not going to run away with an automatic position. So I wouldn't be overly concerned still about about Bournemouth. I think it was probably uh, a day where if they score the first goal, they'd probably go on and win handsomely. So no major worries about them but um they need to improve because the the uh the following sides have got momentum and Bournemouth don't have that right now and now then Birmingham City supporters staged a demonstration against their owners before and during Saturday's game uh, but methinks Barnsley doth not protest enough uh, they lost again Blues picking up their first win in seven attempts in the league It's an interesting one, this, isn't it, Ross? Because obviously Birmingham supporters are unhappy with the way that the club is being managed off the pitch. But 12 points clear of the relegation zone. So so surely safe in in terms of going down 
after this win, but but not a happy football club by any stretch of the imagination. No, and I think they're comfortable to follow maybe, I think it was a, what you said earlier, Matt, about a number of the teams down there that are, that are going to make sure that it's not too much of a threat to, for Birmingham to end up in a relegation scrap and that, that points tally that they've got already means they're going to be fairly comfortable. My concern and my worry for Birmingham is that the fans have to express, of course, and I know there's a number of clubs across the league, I'm sure we'll cover a few of them today, that um, have got issues with, with owners um, and the way that things are being operated at the moment. But I think what the Birmingham fans have got to be really careful of is he's not unsettling everything because of the scenario that they find themselves in. The last thing you want it to become is that real battle um, between fans, between board, and the players get caught up in the middle of that. And it can, it can really... Um, unsettle the group and make it an uncomfortable finish to the season. So from the from the players, from the staff's perspective, you don't want it to become too sour and too disgruntled. But then I suppose at the same time, there'd be a lot of Birmingham fans, I'm sure, listening to this, thinking, well, no, we're going to go as far as we can to make sure it's resolved. Uh, Sam, Barnsley are down, right? Two wins from 25 games this season. This, the Poyer Asbaggy thing was an interesting appointment, but it, he hasn't had any sort of immediate bounce. And yeah, they just look like they can't find a win from anywhere at the moment. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, you know, has there ever been a side in a championship that's lost like key components and just nosedive so quickly? You know, DK, the manager, uh, Ismail, and and um, midfielder Moet, I think is just so important to, to Barnsley over the last few years. He he really has been. So the away form is disastrous. They're not one away away from home need reinforcements in this window, I would say, to give themselves any chance. But why has it not been done already? That tells me that there's there's not much joined up thinking going on there. And yeah, these are the type of games against a, a, a Birmingham side that I felt was probably bereft of a little bit of confidence going into this one. You've got to match the, the physicality of, of Birmingham from set pieces and such like. And that's where, you know, Birmingham won this game, essentially. Just wanted to... Note that Scott Hogan had 13 touches in this game. Uh, one in the opponent's box is little tapping, which I thought was an interesting quirk. I mean, it's definitely the right way for Lee Bowyer to go to ditch the 3-5-2 or whatever it was he was playing because I'd seen him in the flesh a few times and it was a disaster. But I thought it just shows you a uh, little centre forward, not involved in any of the build-up, but everyone's talking about him on the Monday. Clarky, we talk about Barnsley and, and the fact that they lost the manager and some key players. The other factor, I guess, is that they lost Dane Murphy as well, who, who's gone to Forest as CEO, and we've already praised their transfer business. Well, maybe that's why Barnsley haven't got anything done this month. I think that's got to be a huge factor, hasn't it? He he was a driving force there, and they had their, their own way of doing things, didn't they? And and by and large, while he was at Barnsley, they were, they were pretty successful. So, yeah, that joined up thinking you were talking about is missing isn't it I think they they've been missing experience for a long time I know the club policy was to go for younger players but not I mean how many of the players that they've signed in recent years have had championship experience experience at the level not that many I looked at this 11 and I think I think eight of them you could classify as experienced championship players you know senior pros loads and loads of games at the level you look around the Barnsley team and, and you absolutely couldn't couldn't really pick out anyone that that ticked that box so I think I think that matters I really do and uh, as for them being down I yeah it, it would be 
it would be as miraculous as them going to the Premier League last season, which it would have been had they, had they made it. It would be as miraculous, I think, this time around for them to survive from where they are right now. Uh, speaking of miraculous feats, we're going to have another go at our bet builder with Paddy Power. We've had mm, pretty much no success ever since we've started this, so who knows? <laughs> Maybe the enforced break will do us some good. Uh, we're going for the midweek fixtures. Ross, you're up first. What have you gone for? I'm going, and this will probably add to the fact that you probably don't win too often. I'm going to go for QP, uh, for Swansea to beat QPR at Madness. QPR. There's a, a fuming Sam Parkin I can see here. Uh, Sam, never say never. Sam, what, what, what's your pick and, and why is Ross so wrong? <laughs> uh, Ross is wrong because QPR score in absolutely every fixture. And we got two gimmies this week. Uh Swansea and, and Reading on Saturday. Six points to just... Uh... Can, can I contribute to the debate? Sure. Or, or have I just got to accept Sam's opinion? <laughs> well, give, give us your rationale, Ross. I mean, Sam's a senior man here, but if you, yeah. if you really think you can talk us round on this one, please do. Whether I talk you round or not, I'm still going to give you my opinion. Um <laughs> My opinion is, is obviously the way that Swansea, we all know the way that Swansea approach the game and the way that they play. And I think they pretty much approach most of their games home away, top, bottom, in, in a very similar manner. So I think they go there with, with, with that sort of game plan um, and belief in what they try to do. I think almost really adding to what Sam does, they're going to be at home, they're going to be coming after Swansea. They do score a lot of goals, but I think potentially QPR could leave themselves open and, and Swansea could get the result. All right, Sam, like what's said, your pick? I didn't, think, I didn't think you'd believe me, but there's my opinion. <laughs> oh, well, look, you've made your case. None of us agree with you, but we'll be the ones with eggs. Hey, I've, face I've lived it for so long, I can't wholeheartedly say that that won't happen. Do you no. know what I mean? How many times have I been, you know, crawling to school uh, back in the day after a uh, disappointing home defeat? It's happened numerous times. Uh, I'm going for, this is using my vast experience of Kenilworth Road as well, Luton and Bristol City to serve up a thriller. I would imagine that'll be a nice open game. City have been improved, scoring a lot of goals actually the last few games and um, Luton fired blanks at Sheffield United. Won't be doing so on a Tuesday night under the lights in Bedfordshire. Producer Abby can give us the odds on those two results. Yeah, not happy with everyone deciding to choose violence for their uh, bet builder picks, but here we are. Um, Swansea, you'll be unsurprised to hear, are not the favourites to beat QPR. QPR are 21 to 20, Swans are 5 to 2, and the draw is 12 to 5. As for both teams to score at Kenilworth Road, it is 17 to 20. Uh, Luton, the favourites, 3 to 4. Bristol City, 15 to 4, and the draw is 5 to 2. That double comes in at 5.48 to 1. Lovely. We'll carry on with that as we go on. Next, though, we're talking League One. And if you like 3-2 scorelines, we got the games for you. We all enjoy the sport we call the beautiful game. But since I've retired, I've discovered an ugly, even darker side to the sport we love. Join me as Jamie Redknapp investigates. Thanks, Jamie. We'll take it from here. Join Jamie Redknapp for Jamie Investigates, the football mockumentary series, available to watch on Paddy Power's Twitter. This week, Jamie Investigates, half and half scarves. Do you know the truth? Paddy Power. 18plusbecambleaware.org This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. In League One, Wigan are the new leaders, but they had to work hard to beat Gillingham, who themselves fall to the bottom of the table. Wickham are down to fourth after losing at Morecambe, who are now just a point from safety. Doncaster's hopes of staying up looked as dead as the dodo, but Joe Dudo got a winner at MK, which could bring them back to life. And John's off the Marquis as Lincoln beat Plymouth. Uh, Wickham then went into the weekend top of League One, but after another W, Wigan got the W against Gillingham. It's the Latics who are the new leaders. Uh, they were given a scare by the league's bottom side. Oh, Ross, it gets harder and harder, doesn't it, to make a case for the for anybody but Wigan to, to win League One this season. It's really tight at the top there, but they've got these four games in hand. And, and even when they hit a bit of adversity like they did here, they still managed to win the game. Yeah, they do. I mean, it was there was a... It was a heavy one-sided affair in the first half. They took a took a bit of a, a battering. I know they went a couple of goals up, but Gillingham did take a bit of a bit of a battering by by Wigan in the first half. But I think those four games in hand just you know suggest how much comfort there could be for them. Um, when you look at the way the game unfolded and the way that they ended up actually winning it, it just stinks of obviously one team suffering at the moment, which I'm sure we come on to. But at the same time, a team full of confidence ramp up the pressure, the crowd get up, get going. And you just, at times when, you, when you've got that momentum on your side, find a way to get over the line. So I think they should have well and truly been out of sight by the time half time came around. Um, but when it did get tight and get a little bit nervy towards the end, you know that momentum that they've got, um, saw, them, saw them get the results and the, and the points that, that, that have kept them in the position that they are. But I, I do genuinely think that, that those four games in hand is really going to extend a big gap between them and the rest. So impressive, isn't it, Sam, to go 16 games unbeaten in, in a division that we always talk about being so ridiculously tight this season. They're kind of the exception to the rule, Wigan. Yeah, they've, they've been brilliant to this point. I think the, the depth of the squad is obviously a huge a huge factor. Being able to bring um, Chinny in for, for his first start here. Uh, Humphreys has not been full of goals, but he scored a sublime goal, I thought, in, in this game. You've got McGuinness to come back in as well. So... No, they got really good players and another good sign, I suppose. Um, you know, it's a d- difficult place to play when they're when they're flying. Actually, Wigan. You know, thinking back to my time, and um, you know, when you get pegged back like that, for them to just step into another gear, flex their muscles, and and score once more was was fantastic. And then there's no coming back from there against Gillingham, who are a side who you know, really struggling for goals. I think that's their their Achilles heel. You know, I think defensively it's not a disaster if you look at the season as a whole, if you look at the pattern that they've they've shown. But just scoring goals has been such an issue and and not I don't think not, you know, causing as much of a threat as we're used to from set pieces. I think only Burton scored more set pieces than, than them last year. So that's normally where they get the majority of their points and that's not even that's not even obvious at the moment. So it's a tough time for them, but hopefully they should take some confidence from what was, you know, a better performance. Yeah, struggling for goals. Uh, that point nicely illustrated by the Gillingham Twitter admin who at 2-2 tweeted, all caps, 70, 2-2. Oh my God, Jills have scored. Four exclamation marks. Hashtag Jills. 
to which at voice of 07404 replied, any club that employs Steve Evans deserves all the misfortune in the world. Enjoy League Two. Uh, Clarky, that was your burner account, presumably. Steve Lavelle uh, still in, in temporary charge. Is there anything he can do to turn this round? It's, it's pretty tricky when you're talking about a team that haven't won in 14 games. Yeah, tough going, isn't it, for, for the Jills at the moment. Interesting move in the in the loan market. They've gone back in for Charlie Kelman, haven't they, from Queen's Park Rangers. Was there, basically got bombed by Steve Evans and, and Lovell's gone back in for him. So... We'll see whether that makes makes much of a difference. It's they just don't have the depth, do they? If, I think this was this this is arguably one of the the deepest squads in Wigan against one of the skinniest. Now, I was looking at and, and obviously they, they they brought on two subs at halftime, Gillingham, that changed the game, which was which was fantastic for them this time around. But but ultimately, I don't think they go deep enough. Um, looking at Wigan. Their goal difference in the final 15, obviously after most changes have been made or around that period, 15 goals scored, two against in the last 15 minutes of games. That That's what you're up against if you're a Gillingham playing playing a Wigan Athletic that can bring on you know star names from the bench. So, yeah, t- tough going for the Gills. I th- I'd, I'd like to see them play a bit more football and play through the lines and, and, and spend a bit more time in the opposition half, really. But but whether they can sort of change that mindset, change that philosophy in a short space of time, I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. Do you mind if I just add to that? I, with, with with the Gillingham scenario, I feel like there's been a lot of damage done over a period of time. So obviously you mentioned there what the what the guy on Twitter had said about Steve Evans, but I think it's a collective of the way the whole scenario has been managed for them, and it's been going on for quite a while. Love him or loathe him, Steve Evans is the way that he is. But he was almost sort of coming and going for a while when he was going to Stevenage. Then he was staying. Then he went. Now there's a grey area of, you know, are they going to leave Steve in there or is there a new manager coming in? And I think that must make it incredibly difficult for Steve Lovell to pick the group up and try to find a way of winning winning games or an identity to try and get closer to doing it. And then the flip side of that for the players, must be really difficult now looking at it, thinking, is this guy going to see us through and try and get us out of the trouble or is there going to be another change that we're all hanging on, waiting for. I think it makes it really, really tough for everyone involved in that club. And it, like I say, it's a scenario that's been going on for quite a while now. So they are rock bottom of the table. But meanwhile, in Morecambe, Wickham was shocked by the relegation-threatened shrimps who sat the chairboys down winning 3-2. It means that they are just a point off safety, albeit Fleetwood just above them, have a game in hand. Uh, in terms of Wickham here, Adrian, do they just have too many of their, their regulars out injured? Um. Maybe, yeah, maybe so. But but they still, you know, still a competitive game, wasn't it? I think that they they, they did okay going forward. Obviously, the, the scoreline will, will tell you that. Not so not so good at the back, where a few of the players were missing. Um, Gareth, you know, Gareth McCleary sort of playing in in behind or off of Akin Fenwell was excellent in the game. I think he had six six shots and and Hanlon had five, so they created plenty. It's just just at the other end of the pitch, they were yeah. Unwickham like weren't they? they? They they gave up some, gave up a lot of opportunities actually more more than you'd expect from from a Gareth Ainsworth side. Um, <laughs> I think you saw this. Jonah Ayunga had nine shots. I mean, <laughs> there are some players that would go they'd go months without getting getting nine shots away, especially wide players. Um, so so yeah, they were a little bit too open I hear in this game, Wickham, and and they paid a price for it. I feel like a proud uncle now. Ayunga started to score because I think. 
Yeah, you've been big. I talked him up when he was um, doing absolutely yeah. nothing at Bristol Rovers, and about a month later, they sold him to Morecambe. So, you see, <laughs> it's all there. Uh, Sam, why are you there? Uh, let's uh, run the rule over our tweet of the week, please. It comes from Morecambe's Greg Lee. He says, What a result! Exclamation mark. Been coming, muscly arm emoji. Time to kick on to exclamation marks. Football emoji, shrimp emoji, at shrimps official. Very, very average. But I think we've. I think I know a few people that know Greg Lee. He's supposed to be a good lad, so I'll give him a yellow. Give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> uh, with Morecambe, Ross, I mean, it's so hard to talk about anything other than Cole Stockton, but I'm just looking at the league table and seeing that they've scored at least 14 more goals than any other team in the relegation zone. So he really is absolutely vital to their cause. Yeah, and I think if they do lose him, no matter what they try to do to replace him, it's going to be extremely difficult. I think they've got to do everything. I'm sure they are trying to do everything in their power to keep keep hold of him because uh, without his goals and, and his presence as well, I think that's been something. Um, remember looking at him quite a lot last year and, and I remember a couple of years ago watching him and he was he didn't look quite sharp and he didn't look as fit as he could have been. Um, so I think it's not just the goals that he gives them. He gives them that presence, occupies centre-halves, makes it difficult for people to to head it and gives his team a platform to build upon. So I think he's going to be incredibly vital. I hope for their case that they can stay strong and, and keep him till the end of the season when I'm sure the inevitable will happen. Um, but just to touch upon next, I watched quite a lot of this game at the weekend. Ayunga was outstanding. It weren't just the shots that he had in the game. He put a number of crosses into the box. Uh, I think he put the cross in. Uh, well, he did put the cross in for Stockton's goal, um, which wouldn't have called, wouldn't have, wouldn't have actually really called a, a cross. It was more of a sort of creative long pass in behind the back four. So, um, a special mention for him for me because he stood out. But, but yeah, he's going to be pivotal to whether or not they can they can get anywhere near surviving. All right, you've uh, gone some way to repairing your relationship with Sam um, with that answer. I had to do something, Ross, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, guess what the score was between <laughs> Oxford and Sheffield Wednesday? That's right, it was 3-2, a win that put the U's back in the playoff places. Uh, Sam, you said that they need another striker to be to be proper contenders. Cole Stockton, one of those who's, who's been linked with them. Do you think that's that's still the case? Well, after Sam Winnell scored? Um mm. I mean, in the balance, really, in the balance. I don't think that Oxford's problems necessarily are going to be scoring goals. I think it's still a very attacking lineup that Carl Robinson maybe his, his hands forced a little bit by injuries to key players, but it's still a really attacking lineup uh, when you look at the fullbacks as well. Um, Cole Stockton would be perfect for what I was talking about. Um, he'd probably be a good fit in terms of his style. Um, but no, I mean, that'll do Winnell's confidence the world of good um, coming on and uh, and getting a goal. And, and Taylor, who I think comes in for a little bit of criticism because, you know, he's such a brilliant 18-yard box player that he always gets opportunities. Maybe, you know, he's not clinical every single game, every single week, but he doesn't half position himself intelligently. I always enjoy watching Taylor play. He preys on mistakes from from opponents, always in the right spot. So, but I think, yeah, he just needs taken out the firing line at times and, and Sam Winnell could could provide that. And we, sh- we shouldn't be too surprised. I think Sheffield Wednesday conceded five um, headers out there last seven and um, really poor defensively from set pieces. So if Oxford were going to find a weakness, it was going to be there. 
Uh, Carl Robinson post-match. It's almost Roy of the Rovers stuff. Uh, now, Clarky, I want to give producer Abby a yellow here. She says, at what stage does that reference need to be dropped because it won't mean anything to younger fans? Some things are sacrosanct. Oh, we, I don't, I don't know how big a sixpence is. I know what turning on a sixpence means. Yeah, look, if you like football, you like Roy of the Rovers. It's as simple as that. It just, you don't even need to have read the comic to have seen it. Do you? you just know what it means. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's there forever. In my opinion, yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, Ross, on, do you on, see a, a do you see a uh, a Roy of the Rovers style finish to the season for Sheffield Wednesday? Are they are they going to actually make it and become promotion contenders, or are they still that little bit short as the table suggests? I mean, to answer your question, my answer would be no. I've watched them twice this year, and I've been really disappointed with them both times. I think you look through the personnel and the players that they've got in certain areas of the pitch, and and, and you you could easily argue that. They're way beyond the level that they're playing at. I suppose. <laughs> I suppose there's a flawed argument when when you find where you are in the league and, and you're forever watching a result comes in like the one at the weekend. They lose three two, and you think, oh, when they're going to kickstart? When they're going to have a run? When are they going to put something together? So to answer your question right now, famous last words, I would say no. I don't think it will happen, and that's because of the the scenarios that I've seen them I in mean, a couple of times. They just sort of don't seem to quite impose themselves on games. They don't ever really seem to be um, really, really dominant. It seems to be very loose. And and, and at times I feel like I, I look at the, the, the group and the team and there's almost a little bit of um, vulnerability due to the, it may be a bit dismissive of the, of the level. And I, I hope I'm wrong when I say that, but um, I think some of the, the mistakes, the late goals, or, or, or like I say, that real lack of dominance in, in terms of the qualities that they've got, means for me right now, I don't think they're, they're, they're going to get anywhere near going up. I do agree. I think that I've struggled to work out, Sheffield Wednesday, what they, what they are, what they're trying to achieve. But they, they have had injuries to key players, haven't they, throughout the season, particularly at the back. Sam, Sam rattled off the stats about conceding headed goals. Is that a surprise when you've got a right back, really, in Palmer playing centre-half? You've got Marvin Johnson, a winger, playing centre-half. And Hutchinson, who's, who can, yeah, he can play there, but he's also a midfield player. He really has been down to the bare bones in that key position. And I think for the first goal that Taylor scored, ball comes in, it's it's weak defending at the far stick. They 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 really are struggling in that regard. So so maybe the, the arrival of Jordan's story will, will help that. Um, Josh Windass, they just got to get him fit, haven't they? <laughs> His stats are unbelievable. Four goals in 178 minutes this season. So it's two a game. Incredible, really. Um, so, so yeah, get him partnering Gregory. Get Luongo fit for a run of games and and, and get maybe one other centre-back in or, or certainly fit again. And you've got the basis of a decent team. But but I am with Ross. I, I'm not quite sure what they are at the moment. No, no clear identity. Quick, quick one for Ross then. They bring in Jordan Story um, after a 4-2 home win against Plymouth. And he puts him on the bench for this game. Is that is that a Rick mm. from from Darren Moore? Have you got to start yeah, the, the centre half sure. considering he's come from a higher level and they're struggling in that department? Yeah, without doubt. For me, I think you've shown your intention by bringing the guy in and put him in the team. I think you just um, you're delaying the inevitable first and foremost because he's going to play at some stage, isn't he? So I think you've got to go with 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 your best players. And, and I say because they haven't blown anyone away because they've not 
impose themselves. And, and I agree with Adrian when you're missing key players and, and key personnel. But the, the, the couple of times that I've seen them throughout the season has been at different stages and they've not always been obliterated by um, by injuries or suspensions in a particular area. I just feel like they've just flattered to deceive a little bit. So, um, that, But to answer your question, Sam, yeah, for me, he's got you, you, you play, you bring someone in, you've got to show your intent by making the team stronger, which is what you should do, what you, what you should do if you put him in. And then, and then you have the downside of that, don't you? Because when it goes wrong, you, you've got even more egg on your face, haven't you? <laughs> so that's the life of a manager. Uh, let's bring producer Abby back in. Abby, just bear in mind that you are in a booking, so you can't go two-footed on me for this. My pick for the bet builder is Gillingham to beat Shrewsbury. That is a terrible choice. <clears throat> uh, Gillingham are not the favourites in this one. Uh, that would be Shrewsbury there, 23 to 20. Jills are 23 to 10, which is only mildly better than the draw, which is 12 to 5. All of that brings our treble into 20.37 to 1. Huge money on offer here. Huge. It's going to get even bigger when Adrian rounds it off when we get to League Two, which will happen next. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Uh, in League Two, there was a regulation win for Forest Green Rovers. They put three past Carlisle. Tranmere squeezed past Crawley. Mansfield got a magnificent seventh win in a row. Uh, Tyree Simpson's been recalled from Swindon back to Ipswich. Bit of a loss for Swindon there. And John Sheridan is in again at Oldham. His sixth time in charge, including caretaker spells. The Martin Allen of the North, as nobody calls him. <laughs> Here's an amusing tweet from Leighton Orient. They drew nil-nil with Port Vale, but a fox came onto the pitch. That's going to happen to you in London, I'm afraid. Uh, the social team at Orient got a picture of the fox and said, this picture of a fox is now available as an NFT and will start the bidding at £1 million. Uh, certainly John Terry showed an interest in that, if nobody else. Uh, we're going to begin our look back at the results on Saturday, the home of the Sulphurites as Harrogate Town got back to winning ways against hapless Oldham. But it's John Sheridan's return, uh, which is the top line here. Sammy, somebody who you know well, he's uh, he's given you a fair few tellings off during your playing career. Is, is that what the Oldham boys need? A bit of a bit of an iron fist or is he a busted flush after what happened at, at Swindon in his last couple of jobs? Well, he needs the supporters on board. So that would be a start. Uh, at Boundary Park, a, a big positive. They love him. The players, I think John Sheridan would be the first to admit that the game's changed uh, a lot. And I think he'd have learned from that Swindon experience, whether he can temper what he's like on the sidelines and in the dressing room, I doubt very much. But you have to you have to show a little bit more leniency, I suppose, because some of the stuff that went on Swindon at Swindon has been well publicised and he didn't come out of that looking looking well at all. But I'm sure he'll go in there and, and have a positive impact. Whether that can get enough points to stay up, who knows? He needs to start scoring again. Just one in five since that Forest Green game, which makes it seem even more bizarre. Without a recognised striker right now, so in the team, so whether he can 
bring someone in to fill that void will be will be interesting. But I love playing for John Sheridan, but his his era of playing is a long time ago. I gave him that utmost respect because of what he was as a player and he was brilliant to play with. So, you know, that's what our relationship was based on. You know, midfield player demanding of the striker, but had incredible ability. So I only had respect for someone like that, whether it still holds the same the same amount now we'll have to we'll have to wait and see how um how the players take to him. Ross, you're the manager among us. It's it's a risk on Sheridan's part, isn't it? Because as Sam said, a much loved figure within the club and amongst its supporters. Therefore, you don't want to be the guy who takes them out of the football league. No, without doubt. I suppose the other side of it, from from his perspective, is the position that they find themselves in. He, he would be. Well, you'd have to be going into that scenario glass half full because um, you can only try to look at the positives of the position that they find themselves in. Uh, I think as well, being the sixth time that, that he's re- returned, I suppose all the risk has gone now, isn't it, in terms of the amount of different times and scenarios that he would have been going into it with him. Um, I think Sam said there about about the fans being on side, you know, the, the, the owners have obviously tried to bring someone in that's going to be a popular announcement. If they can go out and try to bring in some players with some attacking intent that might help. I don't think. I think that that, that relationship is null and void, isn't it? That, that that one's dead and dead and buried. I don't think there's any any chance of repairing um, what's gone on between the fans and, and the ownership of that club at all. But I think it might go some way to creating some positivity. One for John in terms of the types of players that he's going to need to try to get some results, but maybe to give them a little bit of a foot up and a little bit of something to hang on to as he as he starts his first week back in the job. What about Harrogate, Adrian? No Simon Weaver here. Uh, he missed the match because he had COVID. It, it, they were on a poor run before this, which has, has probably ended their hopes of making it into the playoffs. But as second seasons go, this is decent, isn't it? You know, they, They're comfortably top half and, and, and they've never looked in trouble at any point, really. No, I like the way they attack the games. They, they, they've gone out to try and win them, haven't they, right from, from the get-go. Scored a lot of goals, particularly early on in the season. So that's been an issue in recent times and and they'll be relieved I think more than anything because Jack Muldoon it was a sensational hat-trick brilliant from him but he hadn't scored in the league since mid-October and and Luke Armstrong the guy that was flying in the in the sort of summer months he hasn't scored since sort of early to mid-November either so 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 the two sort of main men up front have dried up big time with Muldoon scoring this treble maybe maybe that will reignite them moving forward I loved the second goal, I'm sure Sam would have enjoyed it when the ball's sort of bouncing up in the air and the centre half is, is a bit worried about it. And I think Diara goes first to close him down. And then his mate, Jack Muldean, arrives on the scene, basically just bullies the centre half and he's through 1v1. It was, it was a really, really good goal. And yeah, just a great day for, for Harrogate. And the other thing that stood out for me here was, was the crowd. You know, it was really, really packed in there. Brilliant to see that. Yeah, they're building something, I think it's fair to say. I'm not sure we'd say the same about Salford, though, because they were beaten 3-0 at home by Colchester. Colchester under the caretaker stewardship of Wayne Brown. Uh, Ross, I feel like every time we talk about Salford, we, we question the manager's future, which feels a bit mean. But there again, they are not where their famous owners expect them to be. I agree. Uh, I suppose the question I would ask of that situation would be, what are Salford? 
at the moment. We're, we'll know where they're trying to get to. It's probably a silly way to put it. But I think, what is it that they're trying to achieve? There's been a real mishmash of the way that they've gone about it. They went from Graham Alexander, who was doing really well, had him in a very strong situation, didn't like the style of play, so they went a drastic change. A drastic change to a manager who lasted, I think, was it four months? Complete contrast in the style of play from what Graham did to the way that Richie Wellens wanted his team to play. Um, then you have another change, and, and, and it goes away from the Richie Wellens model, probably back towards um, Graham and Alexander, albeit not quite as, um, as extreme with Gary Bowyer. Um, they've obviously backed him and invested, so logic would tell you that they need to stick by him between now and the end of the season to see that the fact that they've brought Smith in if that can add to, to them turning around. But I just wonder with them collectively, generally, wh where it is that they're trying to go. Is there going to be a big overhaul in the summer? We're so used to seeing them spend and bring new blood in and new players in. I think that was very, very difficult for them to do this year with the players that they've built up over that period of time that they've been back, they've been in the league. So, um, yeah, tough one. But I think it, 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 like you're obvious, obviously right in what you're saying about Gary being under pressure if you ever lose a game at Salford. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a real grey area of what they are or where they're going in the short term, certainly. It's quite heartening, Adrian, isn't it, in a way? Because it shows that you can't just buy your way through the leagues. It's just not as simple as yeah, that. Yeah, it is. And you've got to be united. And everyone talks about philosophies and and things like this and you know having, having these long-term strategies in place. But... People talk about those for a reason because a lot of the time they do work and, and yeah, when you flip-flop from one to the other, it does create a little bit of confusion, not least among the players. A lot of the players would have been brought in to, to play one style of football and then and brought in because of what they could could offer in that style and then, then you do a U-turn. I mean, with the acquisition of Smith up front, the big man, you just feel that they're going to boom it now, don't you? And I don't know where that leaves the ball players that that they've brought in, you know, last year. So, what my takeaway from watching the highlights of this was that so it seemed like Salford were ho hoisting a lot of hopeful balls into the box, and if they didn't win it, they were <laughs> they were leaving themselves really badly exposed to, to the breakaways. I mean, the, the the third goal was sensational. I thought from from Freddie Sears on the break. Um, Andrew scored it in the end, didn't he? But yeah, they it, it was a mess of a performance from from Salford's point of view. But for Cole, you absolutely magnificent. Um, Love that little wide free kick with a flick on. Um, as, as someone that used to take those free kicks, aiming for the far post all the time, that's all you're asking for. Just just your centre half or your centre forward to just let it skim off the top of his head into the corner. I really really enjoyed that goal from. From Luke Chambers and and Wayne Brown, well, he's 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 off to a bit of a flyer. Yeah, the new old interim caretaker <laughs> manager back again. Does Ross fancy this gig? I'm I'm taking over your job here, Matt. But I mean, you know, it's up for grabs, isn't it? I think what you get with that one is me not answering the question <laughs> outright. But I think um, what happens with that is is a lot with, with, from Wayne's perspective. Is he has been in there two or three times, and and you start to wonder you know, how much the, the, the chairman, the board, want him to do well in order to, to, to get him the job. You know, he's been a man that's been around the club for a, for a long period of time and I know he's more than a tip-tree responsibility. He's crossed over the, within the club quite a lot. So I think um, he's done, done that opportunity. He ended, you know, a lot of good in terms of him being able to build that. I think what I liked about what they've done in the immediate 
whether it's to plan for the future or right for the next couple of weeks, is they've brought people in and around the first team that genuinely care about the club. They've brought Joe Dunn back. They've promoted the academy manager to work around the first team. Um, and, and obviously, as we touched upon with Wayne there, it gives real stability in terms of trying to get the club safe and get them away from that that bottom two. That, that, you know, that, that they would have been looking over their shoulder this time last week, wouldn't they? But Sam, just to underline what a big win this is, they, they're definitely looking up now, aren't they? Because they're, they're on to 25 points. You go up to 19th and Stevenage, you've been in, in great form later. They're on 28, but Colchester have got two games in hand on them. They're only five points off 15th place Bristol Rovers. So, you know, a couple more decent results for Brown and, and they might pull clear of Scunthorpe and Oldham. Yeah, very much so. They won't want to, um, you know, become embroiled in a relegation battle that goes down to the wire. That's got to be the ambition for this season now. And, you know, it's a it's a start, isn't it? Tough game up next against against Swindon. But, you know, they, they love Wayne Brown as a player. Um, as Ross says, he's he's brought back Joe Dunn as well, who, know, who knows the club inside out. And I think just a bit of more front foot football. Got it forward a bit quicker to Freddie Sears, as Clark he spoke about. Looked like he'd been working on the set pieces, so seems to really have inspired um, the group to a, to a good win. And um, he's in charge of booking our golf holiday this summer as well, Wayne Brown. So um, we could do with a few extra quid. <laughs> Just remember to take two pairs of trousers in case you get a hole in one. Love that joke. I mean, nobody else does, but fine. Um, Adrian, round us off for our bet builder, please. Controversially. You've picked a game from everybody's least favourite competition. Oh, speak for yourself. Big fan of the AFL trophy. Um, yeah, Arsenal might win it this season. <laughs> they might. I don't think they're going to, though, somehow. Um, as well as they're doing with Kevin Betsy, the under-21s. But I don't fancy them away to to Wigan. I think when it gets to the business end, that the, the, the Football League clubs really start to take it seriously. I would imagine that, that they'll... They'll put out a very strong lineup here in the quarterfinal stage. Wigan, Liam Richardson, he'll want to get to Wembley, and and a lot of the Arsenal under twenty one players that are the the sort of best players that they're in the first team at the moment. They're needed on the bench, so it'll be interesting to see if they play. I know that the first team are over in Dubai at the moment, so so we'll we'll have to wait and see what sort of team they put out. But either way, I would fancy Wigan to beat Arsenal in this game I, I don't think that the under 21 clubs or teams in general uh, I, I can't just can't see any of them winning this competition in the near future and I, I don't think they will this year either Abby what are the odds on that please yeah you don't fancy Arsenal uh, nor do Paddy Power Wigan are the favourites hefty favourites 1-2 to two to beat the Arsenal bench warmers uh, Arsenal themselves are 15-4 to four and the draw is 16-5 to five. all of that means that this bet builder comes to a whopping 31.05 to 1 uh, do remember that if one leg or, uh, lets you down of your fourfold bet or more then uh, Paddy Power will give you uh, your money back as a free bet and I did the, just out of courtesy I thought what if we just chose all the favourites here and didn't go with these rogue options if you fancied those ones instead uh, it's 11.23 to 1 instead that's your odds <laughs> boring uh, you can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app prices are accurate at the time of recording it's over 18s only T's and C's apply and when the fun stops stop <laughs> 
Uh, right, after Stoke finished with three famous footballing sons on the pitch on Saturday, Ince, Wright Phillips and Campbell, I want to know what's your favourite footballing familial connection? So it could be brothers, could be sons, could be daughters, could be anything you want. Uh, Adrian, you can go first. Well, I, I'll do a couple. Hopefully I'm not stealing anyone's. I, I like a brother-sister combo, which is obviously seems like quite a modern thing. Any Aluko and Sonny Aluko. Rhys James, Lauren James, that's that, that, that's an interesting new dynamic. Um, but my favourite fat football family, and this is for the... I'll credit my old gaffer here, Alvin Martin. Obviously, England international. He's produced you know, a very experienced goalkeeper in David Martin, and he's produced a left-sider, could it be sometimes in defence, sometimes in midfield, in Joe Martin. David Martin played for MK Dons, Millwall, West Ham, Joe... Gillingham, Millwall, Stevenage, Alvin played for the full England team. His two sons have played for England junior teams. Talented family. So well done. Well done, Alvin. Mm, That's pretty good. Uh, Ross, what have you got for me? Alvin also finished his career at Leighton Orient. He did. did. Just to add a little bit more to that. Um, Well, I've gone for, just to pluck a couple out a little bit like Adrian, as they're the obvious one of Harry and Jamie with with the two Franks. one that always sticks out in my mind are the Boatengs because they played for different different countries. Um, but the one to stick alongside the Royal Rovers theme from earlier on, very similar period, I've gone for the Wallace brothers. Oh, yes. Danny Rod and Not Ray. Not sure how many people on it will remember, but yeah, Danny Rodney and Ray, yeah. Lovely stuff. Um, Sam, who have you got? Uh, Ross is, is the correct answer. Rod, Ray and Danny, because they all played for <laughs> Southampton, didn't they? Around the same time. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. but the three I noted down, I'm trying to think of who I've like, had the best night out with or whatever. Obviously, <laughs> I know Bradley Allen. So the Allen family, again, is ridiculous. Um, Ferdinand's. Um, Les is my my hero. And um, his boy's doing very well at, um, at West Brom. But I'm going to have to go for the Gallons. Got to go for the Gallants. Obviously, Joe and Steve still involved with um, Charlton and um, Leighton Orient, respectively, and uh, Kevin, my old teammate and also one of my heroes. And I've got a great picture of him on my brother's shoulders um, celebrating Luton's win at Wembley in the uh, Johnson's Paint Trophy. Um, (laughs) Well-oiled. Like that a lot. Uh, the obvious one for me would be to go for Brian and Nigel Clough. And obviously, you know, that, that is kind of the answer. But I just wanted to make anybody who's not aware, aware of Sam Kerr, the Chelsea and Australia forward. This is her family ties to sport. This is absolutely crazy. Her mother's dad and his brothers were professional footballers in the West Australian Football League. Another uncle, John J.J. Miller, won the 1966 Melbourne Cup on a horse called Galilee. Her paternal grandfather was a featherweight boxer for Bengal. Her grandmother of Indian descent played basketball. Her father, Roger, and older brother, Daniel, both played Aussie rules football. I mean, that is a sporting family, if ever there was one. Um, that's going to do it for us for today. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll look ahead to the big games in the weekend and round up all the news from the midweek fixtures too. Until then, many thanks to Sam, to Adrian, to Ross and to Abby and to you for joining us as well. We'll speak to you later in the week. For now though, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. Hold up. 
The Athletic.